All right, well, let's bring in our guest right now, Pat Murphy. We appreciate the time, Pat. Great to talk to you, Brewers Ben Coach, joining us right now. I'm mostly Pat, and good to see you. And we've had some great conversations on the field, but I'm mostly going to let all these rascals take over. So, Kratzy, why don't you uh, say hello and, and do the proper introductions, please? I mean, it's Pat Murphy. What other introduction do you need? The guy is – who did you steal that shirt from? Like, there's no way – like, is that is that your line? Is that your is that like your you're the hitting coach now? You got a hit shirt. HIT. Jace Peterson had it and gave it to me. I don't turn down free shirts. So why are you sweating? Do you just tie your shoes or put on your socks? (laughs) I was out in the field with my four-year-old, my eight-year-old, with Wade Miley and Pedro uh, throwing diving catches. (laughs) How's Wade doing? He's awesome. He's he's on the mend. He's 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 throwing He's throwing to the little kids, and the trainers are having a having a fit because he's not the supposed to throw. <laughs> Wait, are you in are you in counsel's office? No, I'm in uh, Shogger's office. Oh, it's okay. actually my office. It's actually my office. I tell Shogger, let him use it. But Wade should just tell the trainers that's part of the rehab, right? You throw diving catches to the kids. Wade rehabs in a different way than anyone else. Anyone who knows Wade knows you just you just have to to know him to understand him. He's got enough dirt in his spikes. I, I think he earned it. So, hey, Pat, give us the uh, the broad view of what this team looks like right now. How much fun are you having, and, and what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, we've faced some adversity, obviously. you got three of your starters down now, um, three of your starting pitchers, one big woo. I mean, you know, he sets the tone. He just comes at you. He has a way about him that – Having him out of there changes things. You know, being the small market team we are, we don't have the depth. Um, so it's been rough. It's been rough. Um, and then to lose Wade Miley. But, you know, when you lose Wade, he's only been healthy for the full season one time in the last four or five years. But he brings so much to your clubhouse. So he's still doing it. You know, he's still here every day talking to young players, helping young guys. So he's uh, – Kratzy, you remember in 18 – the, the impact he had. Um, and uh, so, so losing him's big, but at least we keep his clubhouse present. Now Eric Lauer's down. He hadn't been throwing the ball the way he wanted. So we're kind of decimated on the mound. We've got, uh, you know, Mitchell went down early. Um, he was playing really good and the difference maker in our lineup with his speed. And then uh, Urias hasn't played all year. So we've been just trying to piece it together and, um, there's been moments that look like, yeah, we could be okay. And then there's been moments that, uh, yeah, you're like, oof, we need some help. Who's taking over the uh, – who hits the best infield pop-ups now that Moustakas isn't there anymore? <laughs> Moose, the silo ball. Moose was the <laughs> – so you guys don't know this, but um, Kratzy knows it. I would keep two charts <laughs> taped up on the wall that never came down in the dugout. One was Travis Shaw's broken bats. And the next was Moose's silo balls. And they'd both be so pissed. And they would come back, hit a silo ball and break a bat. And I'd be over there with my marker just tallying up. And uh, hopefully I was trying to bring some, some levity to the situation. But didn't, the timing wasn't always right. But uh, uh, Moose, Moose can hit them like nobody else. You would definitely. And you would wait, too. Like, there's plenty of time. The pop-up would go up. And if you were pissed... You would just go right over and just mark it and not make a big deal out of it. 
But if you, if that grin, that's the grin right there. If you had that grin on, <laughs> you would wait and you would watch them walk down the dugout. And then as they'd walk by, you put their bat or broken bat or helmet in the rack. You would be like, <clears throat> and then you would mark it as they would come by. So that's, that's just a little, that's just a little piece of uh, Pat Murphy. That's what he brings, including bagels in his sliders. Uh, to every day game. Tell us where that started. I'm not sure, Kratzy. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it ever happened. I don't remember it as well as you do, but um, I like to share a snack before a game once in a while and share a bagel. It's kind of like a connection thing and uh, ask the guys to stay connected. So oftentimes they do. I got Mitchell on it. Uh, Brasso took a piece, then find out where it came from and then ask for another. I think you one of your best qualities, I think, as a, a manager, as a coach, I think is you like to, the way you dig into these players, you're testing their mental toughness each day. I think you want to see what they got and if they have it each day. I think you expose people who are not maybe the toughest, I think, and you try to get the most out of them. I could go on numerous stories just from college alone, but uh, it appears you have continued to do so to where you like to check in and how your team, how your players uh yeah. If they're ready for the nine innings that day. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, Kip, you say that, because in a real serious note, like, I really do want to impact guys or keep them on track. You know, like, I'm not here to, to dominate them or to necessarily change them. I just want to impact them by saying, you know, keep your your head down and your wheels on the road and, you know, realize this is a team. Realize there's a next pitch. You can't be – you can't be down about the last pitch or the last result. There's a next pitch that you have to be your best self for. Anyway, some of what I do is misunderstood from the outside, but I think on the inside you can see that my intent is really good. I'm not just a hard ass trying to beat you over the head. You know, it's like my intent is is, is good, and uh, I don't know if it's effective or not. But you know, I got a locker today, so. Hopefully I'll have one tomorrow. Must be doing must be doing something right. I think one of one of my favorite stories is from I don't even know if you remember this because there's just the countless stories that come from from Packard and Tempe at this time. I think some junior pitcher, sophomore junior pitcher came in, walked two in a row, you took him out. We had a meeting after the game or something. We still won the game, and you just started laying into him. And then you're like, You need to pitch better. And then you looked at this red or this freshman right there. He's like, because I don't want to put this guy in. Do not make me put this guy next to you. And you're see, just those testing everyone. Those are made up. Those are made no, up. No, they're not. No, they're not. No. See, that's you know, you know who did this the other day? Rowdy Telez. Rowdy Telez made up a story about when he first met me, and everyone believes it, and it's a total lie. Um, and you know, because you know, Rowdy told it with such, you know, enthusiasm, people really believe it. And now you're doing it right now. I remember that day. I remember that day. I said, look, don't worry. You won the game. We got through it. You will never walk three batters in a game while you're here because I will always take you out after two. <laughs> hey, Murph, just so you don't feel bad, Rowdy came on this show and he made up a story about me that I told him to F off when he was a kid in San Francisco. So when you see Rowdy and he puts that cheese head on, hit him over the head with it for me, okay? Because he did it I to need you to tell him. me. No, it's real. I mean, he told a story that – he, he, we traded for him and he came to the Mets and or he came while we were playing the Mets and 
I get to the field first, and he's laying on the couch, which he does well. And um, so he's a new player, and he said I threw my shoes at him and said, hey, clean these, clubby. Now, everybody believes that he looks like a clubby and, and, and uh, doesn't look like a ball player, but I didn't do that. I've never had the clubby clean my shoes yet, but um, everybody believes it, you know. What would you what would you tell your younger self as a coach back when you are and, and I'll before you answer that, before you answer that, I will back up what you just said about impacting guys. Cause when I quit playing, you texted me and you were like, Well, whatever you do, make sure you find something that you impact people. So this is something that Pat lives by. But we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna build you up too much. Yeah, that's what would you tell yourself now that you didn't know as a young coach? Because AJ is a young coach, and he wants to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, I mean, this profession is sacred, and the problem is there's no qualifications for it. Maybe if you played a little bit, and that's been proven that that doesn't always help. And, you know, the profession needs people without an ego that wants to be an offensive lineman, that wants to open holes, that wants to let the other guys run through it and dance in the end zone and do what they have to do. But – the profession is to open holes and, you know, it's about love and discipline and the ones toughest to love lead the, need the love the most. And um, if I understood any, I mean, I was, I was just an idiot when I was young and just, it was all about winning and, and I had a football mentality and it was about winning and nothing was going to stand in the way. And because I racked up a bunch of wins and got a bunch of big jobs, people thought I was good, but I wasn't because I didn't understand, you know, the role of the coach still. It wasn't just to win. It was to pre prepare these guys great to be able to stay connected, be ready for the next pitch, stay kind of in their process and just play the best and learn how to compete. And, you know, Sometimes guys don't know how to compete, no matter what background they came from. A tough kid from the streets or a, a soft kid from the suburbs in you know, uh, Illinois. They don't always know. <laughs> I know you heard that, kid. I know you heard that, kid. They don't always know how to compete, but some of them do. In Kip's case, of course, he knew how to compete. And he just needed someone to believe in him and love him. And oftentimes... You know, when you look back in your coaching, if you're satisfied with it, you're not doing the job. There's so much we could have done different. There's so much we could have helped with um, that, that we just our ego gets in the way. So this has been a great, great life for me. I feel like I'm just getting to the point where I'm starting to be consistently, um, you know, consistently prepared and potentially impactful. Um on a consistent basis and I'm 64 years old and people think I'm too old, but it's like, it's silly because I'm better than I've ever been and more aware than I've ever been. So as you take on coaching, when the ego's involved, it, you know, when, when the loss creates that black hole inside of you and you take it personally, that's not right. You know, you should be preparing to rally these young men to get to the next stop, not just in their career, but the next game. To be clear, you know, to be convicted playing that next game and not to be bogged down by the result or the standings or any of that other BS. Right. Well, I think I'm, I'm living proof of uh, your impact. I don't think I'd be here, obviously, being able to interview. I think that's pretty cool that 
Uh, I can honestly thank you for getting all the way to this point. Um, and I can prove that you're getting a little softer. I think maybe the best version I've seen of you was probably two years back uh, in the stands at ASU getting to watch Kai play for Arizona <laughs> State. I think that was one of the coolest moments I've seen. Oh, uh, yeah. I think the first time I've seen you nervous around a baseball field. Um, so what was that like, getting to just be a father and not a coach yeah. and getting to watch Kai play? I know he's with the Padres now, right? Yeah, yeah. In the uh, minor leagues, but that had to be pretty sweet to see him go back there. Yeah, you know, I didn't want him to go there. Um, um, but that's what he, that's what he chose and he made the most of it and uh, did well, but being in the stands, watching him. And again, it made me a better coach when he was born. It made me a better coach. I realized, Oh, everybody loves their kid the way I love my son. Oh my God. You know, I better be a little more respectful or then watching him play. I can think of all, I thought of all the dads out there watching their kids play and, um, not having the experience I have in the game. So not to be able to watch it in a critical way. Um, but what a, what a great thing. And having you there, Kip, and uh, the way to see your success, no, no kidding, to see your success, that kid that came in um, hungry as you were, and just you got a book scholarship and you just made the most of it. And you just instantly impacted our team and um, you wanted to win. And I knew you were going to be a successful professional and uh, that's to say the least. I'm not sure I picked up those books, though, but we, we made it there on the back end. <laughs> made it there. The education system has to change. Kim, yeah. <laughs> hey, Murph, you I, I, I always bring this up when people talk about, like, how do the Brewers keep making it? How do they keep making it? And I point to the coaches. I point to you. I talk, you know, I point to a big person that I always point to because these guys that are out there and are doing what they're doing. They're told what they're supposed to do. They're told, Hey, you know, they're built up and they're just getting the most value is a guy like counts counts is kind of a lame duck right now. No contract. Nah, like counts can work anywhere he wants, man. That counts 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 can call the shots right now. He's, he's, um, he can, if he wants to stay here in Milwaukee, I'm sure he can. I'm, I, I don't know the particulars, but, how can you not be pleased with the way this guy has developed into a great manager? And he's, and, and he's aware he has to get better. He's not a guy that this is the way I do it. You know, um, he's, he's terrific, man. He's a great decision maker, you know, you know, bad personality, but great, great decision maker. Um, not funny, but great decision maker. Um, and he, and he went, he knows how to win. He knows how to handle a bullpen. He knows how to handle a pitching staff and he wins games. And he's and the guys love him because you guys all know you want to be able to walk in that guy's office and get the honest truth. And they all get it every single time. And he ain't candy coated. I promise you, you know, I'm kind of a candy coater. I want you to come in and feel good. And then I want to kind of break it to you kind of softly. It counts as like, boom, you know, um, he's really, really talented, man. I here I coached him for four years. I was brutal to him, by the way. But. Um, here I'm in my eighth year working for him and I've learned more from him, more from him than he ever could have taken from his experience with me. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. I really am. So if him and his great calves, cause you didn't mention how great a calves he has, don't come back and manage next year. Are you willing to take over the job and should you be the first one to take it? No, I mean, I, I, I haven't even thought of that, Kratzy. 
I can't see him not coming back and managing here, but, um, but Brady's playing. Brady's, you know, he's got to go watch his Big Ten games. Yeah, um, and Jack will be a Jack. His younger one is going right. to Michigan unless he signs. Um, and uh, so I just don't think that's going to be a, a question. I think he's just going to sit back and um, think about it. And uh, yeah, I don't even consider that. It doesn't seem right to be in Milwaukee without counts. Murph, I didn't play for you. I don't really know you other than you've talked a lot of shit to me over the years when I came in <laughs> or when I was playing against it you. Worked so both that's ways. It worked both ways. <laughs> that's okay. I've heard a lot of stories from a lot of guys that played for you. And they told me some. you had some crazy rules. So tell me the craziest rule you had as a college coach. Pedroia used to say if you hit a ground ball you had to, or made it out, you had to run back to the home plate and give a high five to the, to the next hitter. So what were the crazy rules you had in college? Well, that particular one, I don't know that. I had one rule, don't misrepresent the program. And I'll be the judge if you misrepresented it. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thing about dapping the guy up from behind you, it was like we wanted to stay connected. So every time you made it out before the next guy went to the plate, you dapped him up. Like, hey, you take over, you know, and um, ah, that's a little college thing, isn't it? It was kind of cool. Other teams started doing it. But um, if you struck out, you walked past the guy, you looked him in the eye, boom. Even though you're ticked off, it ain't about you. You know, it's about it's about passing the baton, you know. Um, so why don't you, you do don't that in the big leagues? Why don't you do that in the big leagues? You know, have, have Christian Yelich go up to Rowdy Telez and be like, yeah, dude, let's go. It's your turn. Well, because the way you said it isn't isn't the intent. But... <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of like a real thing of connection, and you know you're making it out like a cheerleading thing. But anyway, um, <laughs> well, see, that's how it plays to us. Not on the inside of these programs. We, yeah, I didn't play for you. That's why. That's why telling you my rules um, won't make any sense to you. It was for the room, the guys in the room, you know. But okay. um, there was no, there wasn't a lot of rules. You couldn't talk to the opponents. That was another thing. Like you had counts got in trouble. Sean Casey came out on whatever channel he's on and said, you know, council was the nicest guy in the world, but he'd never talked to me on base. I couldn't understand it. And finally I asked him, you know, why? And he said, well, my college coach had a rule. You don't talk to opposing players and just tell him one thing. Hey man, I'd love to talk to you, but my coach is a real jerk. And, uh, can't talk. (laughs) (laughs) Casey brought it out and said, yeah, well, Pat Murphy, you're the reason, whatever. But, um, you're the reason yeah, why everyone hated me too, Pat, because you taught me that when I played for you. So I didn't talk to the other team either. So thanks for that. I, under, I understand his pain. No, but uh, no, we had, uh, I just wanted them to focus on, on the right stuff. You know what I mean? It wasn't about how you wore your hair, or how you wore your hat or whatever. Uh, Merrill Kelly came to our program and uh, Kip, I don't know. You remember this? No, you were gone. Merrill Kelly came after. to the program and in recruiting, he said, Hey, Murph, I'm not going to wear my pants up, man. I don't, I don't wear those knickers. I don't do that. I need to wear my pants down. And I said, well, fine. Wear them any way you want. And the guys looked at me like, Murph, there's no way you're going to let him wear them any way you want. I'm like, no, he'll be fine. So he came out in fall practice for like three days with his pants down and digging it. And, uh, and then day four, he came out with his knickers. I'm like, Merrill, what happened, man? I was starting to really like those. And he's like, he just stared at me like, you knew you know, you knew I, you knew I'd have them up, but you get to the point where the players run the program. You just want to make sure the players are the right type of guys. 
you know, and they're thinking right. Who's your favorite player you ever had? And who's the best player you ever had? Yeah. Can't answer either of those questions because favorite in, in different ways, you know. Um, yes, you can. No, I can't. I mean, Pedroia was awesome. Pedroia was awesome. Hey, you didn't say Cody Decker, which he said you would say, so thank you. Did he say that? He said that <laughs> he in the interview that, yeah. we did with him yesterday. <laughs> ask Murph who his favorite player was and then ask him why it was Cody Decker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love Cody. Great, great guy. Um, <laughs> it looks like it. It looks and sounds like it. He just can't I stop do. talking about it. And he just can't give enough praise. <laughs> no, no, I do, but I, I'm – you know, again, he was making a joke about that, and I'm I'm making a joke about it too. No, I enjoyed Cody was in AAA and and uh, had two real good seasons and and added added a lot to our clubhouse and um, yeah. But like when I asked, you know, when somebody asked the old coach, you know, like who's your favorite player ever? Who's the best player you ever coached? Well, that's kind of for a coach. That's kind of I mean, I've got many guys. I got Kip's jersey up in my house. I got. Uh, the Willie Bloomquist and the Craig Councils and the Dustin Pedroia's, Andre, Brett Wallace. I mean, I had some some uh, some great players that I coached in college and uh, in the big leagues. I look at, you know, the guys you got hosting this show, Kipnis, Brock Holt. I was only with him like 60 days, and I call him Bernie. Bernie Holt was one of my favorites. He would still be a brewer if he didn't step on a ball and twist his ankle. Um Lorenzo Kane, you know, one of the greats. Um, you want to talk about teammate. You want to talk about coming to play, unsung hero. And then uh, you got Kratz right there. What a joy to see a guy. I don't know. How old were you then, Kratz? 45, 40, 46? <laughs> but this guy came off the scrap heap. He hadn't, he hadn't caught a ball in months. And all of a sudden, he's catching every day. And all of a sudden, he wins the job. And he's leading us to the, to the one game from the World Series. And the guys want to throw to him. He's not framing jack shit. He's just, he's just, you know, catching the ball. And he's, he's engaged. He's engaged with the pitcher, and he, he's making that pitcher execute. And that team is, is impacted because of the way they executed. And um, I think of guys like that, man. There, there's a lot of favorite moments. So I don't have any one favorite player, um, and uh, best player, nah. What, what about the deaf guy? Was he your favorite player? The deaf guy? The, the deaf guy is a, a tremendous human being. The fact that he fell for that for so long, that the guy, <laughs> Francoeur, Francoeur did an interview. Check it out, guys. Francoeur did an interview with a deaf radio station. Let that one set in for a second. <laughs> and as he was doing the interview, he was talking really slow. Hi, I'm Jeff Francoeur from the El Paso Chihuahua. <laughs> I mean, he's a he's a beautiful who, man. Who was the one that who was the one that they pranked about that? Francoeur. Frank oh, they, they they pranked Francoeur. Yeah, who was the guy but that pretended this, to be deaf? Yeah, who was the setup? He's a pitcher. George George Reyes. George Reyes. George Reyes. It has to be a pitcher. It has to be a pitcher. And I did it. I did it maybe six years in a row. And I never intended it to be videotaped. That was Decker's idea. But I, I never, I never uh, intended that. What I intended is that it's, you pull this off for that period of time, it's really kind of brings the team together. 
And I don't mean to offend any of the deaf uh, people out there or anything like that. It was just meant to be in, in, in all good natured. And some of the stories we have is fantastic. But then Francoeur took it to another level. I mean, he had dinner with him and his wife. He had dinner with George and his wife and talked to him like, hey, you guys don't sign language. How do you talk? So, oh, we just text. <laughs> if you haven't seen by the way if you haven't seen the video it's online yes just type in jeff francor chihuahuas and it comes up right away it's, of course. it's a great three or four minutes it got a lot of play it's, it's incredible it's incredible that he that he just never realized it and the way it came up first day of spring training he got to spring training late he was with another team padre signed him they go, hey, Murph, you got a new guy today. We had about five days left before the season. You got Frank Cora. I'm like, oh, really? I never met him. So he comes up to me first day, and he goes, hey, Murph, how are you? Hey, Jeff, look, we're going to get you back to the big leagues. You're going you're gonna to bat fourth or fifth every day. Have a great time. Don't tell me when you need a day, but I want you to grab some ABs so when the time comes, May 1st, you're, you're ready to roll. And uh, he goes, oh, thanks, Murph, whatever. I said, just be – I'll be there every day for you. Just I'm going to be open – you be open with me with what's going on. And um, then, oh, by the way, Jeff, we got a deaf kid. You'll, you'll figure it out. We got a deaf <laughs> kid, so just be be aware of it. He goes, really? I go, yeah. Goes, That's really cool. I said, yeah, just be aware of it. And walked away. And then from that point forward, we had to pick out the guy, figure out who it was going to be. And I knew I had him right then. Cause... <laughs> that delivery was good right there. That's perfect. The way yeah. if, you know if it Frenchy, was delivered like that, then forget it. If you know Frenchie too, he's he's the nicest guy. So he doesn't he really doesn't want to offend anybody. Yeah, so as soon does. as Murph said it, he was probably like, "Man, I'm going to start learning sign language." Yeah. And I mean, you just have to know Frenchie. You guys are. You guys he's are great. A, he's a great. Treat. Well, Pat, it was so great to catch up with you. Appreciate having you on. Um, good luck the rest of the week here, and uh, we'll talk again soon, all right? Thanks, you guys. I love seeing you guys. Thanks, Murph. Same here. Murph. Thank you so much, Pat Murphy of the Milwaukee Brewers, longtime coach. Obviously, could have gone another 40 minutes. Whew. That's good stuff. Dude, he coached a lot of people. He did. He did. And the thing, I mean, we didn't have time, but, I mean, he will chat it up with, you know, opposing players and all of that. Like, guys just gravitate around him and will go up to him before the game. So, clearly now he'll break his own rule of not talking to the opposition, right? Well, because every guy on every team has some connection to yes, him now. Yes, yes, yeah. fair. Very true. And has a story that everyone else wants to hear. So, I didn't meet him until Frank Orr introduced me to him. Which was when? Six, 2016. Frank Orr's like, hey, you got to meet this guy. Come on here. And he's like, this is Pat Murphy. And then we started chatting and – you know, start telling the story about, the, you know, and the whole, I mean, it was just, it was great listening to him tell stories about everybody. And then he would talk trash to me, talk trash to everybody the whole game. He is wildly entertaining. Hey, let's bring in our first guest today, Gavin Sheets from the Chicago White Sox, joining us on FT Live. Gavin, great to see you. How's life out there in Chicago? What's going on, guys? Happy to be on with you all. Good to see you. Hi. When was the last time in Cleveland, first of all? God damn it, they got shut out yesterday, bastards. <laughs> it was a tough one yesterday. That was, that was not, not the way you want to start a series. No, fair. And Cleveland pitching is really good, especially the bullpen. Yeah, but last time they faced Gattis, they hit five homers off the guy in like two innings. So I was what changed? Sheets freaking getting up there, freaking going deep. What changed? <laughs> yeah, that uh, we were hoping for the same thing yesterday, and 
yeah, uh, hopefully we get back on the horse today. That wasn't that wasn't our best showing yesterday. Yeah, well, I agree. Kipnis was happy. I wasn't, but that's okay. that's a whole different story. <laughs> hey, tough place to play. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin, what was it like before we get into before we get into Lance Lynn whole controversy with you? Because there's a lot of things that were flying around from Lance to ask you. So before we even get into it, what was it like growing up in the country clubs and? Playing tennis as a kid, you know, since your dad was a big leaguer, what what was that like? Explain what does that silver spoon. What does that silver spoon taste like? Oh man, right to it. Uh, yeah, you know, ever since I walked in the clubhouse, I've heard that from Lance, and uh, that's kind of where I'd say that's where our relationship took the took the turn for the better. Um, you know, when I came in, I was quiet, and you know, he was wearing me out with that, and I was like, okay, okay. So I, I took it, I took it as a good rookie should, and then you know, finally I looked at him and I go, you know what? He was a big leaguer, and so am I. And, uh, <laughs> and from that day on, Lance and I have been pretty close ever since then. So I uh, finally cracked him on that one. What, what else did Lance say? I want to hit. I want to hit on your dad for a little okay. bit here. Not actually. Not actually. Not actually hit on your dad, but I want to hit a piece <laughs> on. You know where your dad went to college? Yeah, you guys went to uh, Eastern Mennonite. Both of you. Somehow, you guys made it out of there to the big leagues. <laughs> Except he didn't – That's this is the whole – This is the. he's the first person to go to Eastern Mennonite University. He went to Eastern Mennonite College. Yeah. He's the first person to make the big leagues. I was the first person to get drafted because your pops got drafted at a high school, right? Yeah, and then he went there and played basketball. And has all the basketball records. So are you a better or worse basketball player than him? Oh, way worse way worse he he talks I, I think he talks more about his basketball career in college and in high school than he does playing baseball it's impressive wait, wait where's it's east mennonite where's, for sure. where's east mennonite where the heck is that in the boonies and Ber- oh sorry where is where what town is that in yeah i couldn't even tell you yeah harrisonburg harrisburg pennsylvania do you guys still – no, Harrisonburg, Virginia. Oh, geez, okay. Do you guys – like, he grew up He grew up in Stanton, right? Your dad grew up in Stanton, right? Yes, yeah. It's the Valley League. The Valley League. The yeah, Valley about League. five. Did you play in it? Had... No, I did not. I, I played in, in the uh, in the Maryland League and then in the Cape, so I stayed away from Stanton. <laughs> Kip, you forgot, dude. He's Silver Spoon. Dude. He doesn't play <laughs> yeah, in the Valley League. Right to the Cape, yeah, though, right, right to the to Cape. The Cape. <laughs> I wouldn't have lasted a day in the Valley League. <laughs> so, so your dad went to Eastern Mennonite, where Kratz also went. I'd never heard of it until today, so way to go. But you went to Wake Forest. Yeah. Wake Forest is the number one team in the country in baseball right now. Did you ever think you'd see Wake Forest number one in baseball? I did not. Um, it's really cool to see. I'm really happy for the coaches there because, you know, I, I still – have a good relationship with them and um but they've put so much money into their facility and they've got a pitching lab now that is really better than a lot of the big league teams have um so it's i knew it was coming but i didn't think it would be this fast did, did you put in the yellow turf they have because that yellow turf is not a good look on tv it's it's not a good look uh i wasn't a fan of it when i played i think it's newer now but i don't love it i don't love the gold the gold look Hey, Gavin, um, on this current team, you know, and now that you're getting some years into your big league career, 
are guys coming up to you, some of the younger guys, um, turning to you for advice and who are you spending time with, you know, especially off the field when you're on the road grabbing dinner in Cleveland? Yeah, um, you know, not as much advice. We, we talk about a lot of things, you know, you know, Jake Berger right now is is tearing it up. Um, I'm really close with him and Bonnie and and Romy Gonzalez. And, um, you know, I help where I can in terms of just like the growing pains, the the, you know, the different scouting reports, the way they change and the way guys start to attack you differently when you start to do some damage. And, um, but it, it's a great group of guys. Um, you know, I'm hoping, I think that we're taking the turn for the better right now and putting together a pretty good month of May and um, hopefully ride this through June and, and the rest of the year and make a strong push. I think that's the right add to when you guys, when you guys go out, what's your, how about start with Chicago? What's your favorite restaurants in Chicago that you've been going to? Oh, I love Chicago. The, the, uh, the steakhouse there on the water. I mean, I don't, Chicago. I don't think it's any better. Yeah, I don't think it gets any better than there. There's see, that's that's part of the reason I was five pounds overweight every spring training is because I was just <laughs> hibernated during the winter and came to Arizona coming from Chicago. It's not easy. You guys yeah, got you, the roster. You just said you had the right uh, mentality or something. What do you think it's going to take uh, for you guys to get to that next step, though, to keep pushing through these the dog days that come with July and August? It's going to be a sense of urgency, you know, showing up yeah. every day that we have to win. Um, you know, we can't. We're not in a position right now where we can take any games off. We have to win every game that we go out and play. And, um, you know, we've dug ourselves in a hole, and we know that. And, you know, if we don't have a sense of urgency and we're not going out there to win every night, then we can't make up this ground. Um, but if we can go out and bring the energy every day and, and come out and, and really have a sense that we need to win all these games, um, I, I think we have a shot. Hey, Gavin. So all uh, the oh, go ahead, X. Gretchen. I don't Oh, no, I was just going to say, of all the ex-Chicago superstars that played for the White Sox, is there any that are more annoying and you're sick of seeing when they come into the clubhouse than AJ? <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I, I level of one to three, like, where is he at? I'm not going to lie. I don't think – I haven't been in the, the show long enough for him to talk to me yet, so um, hopefully <laughs> – <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hopefully next time he comes through, he'll he'll, he'll come by. Um, but no, no that's no, not true because I talked to Jimmy Lambert last time for like twenty minutes, and he's been in there less than you. Uh, it's he was just personal then. He was sucking up to you. Then. Um, <laughs> but no, no, I I love AJ. He comes, he does a bunch of our Fox games, so um, it's always fun. <laughs> Thanks, Crouch. I love you too, buddy. <laughs> I, I want to know yeah. because Kip kind of hit on it. You said the other day. This division isn't over. Yeah. You no, said it. No. So what do you got to do? Catch the Twins, catch the Guardians, catch the Tigers. Gosh, never thought I'd say that this year. But, you know, you guys are in fourth place. Like, dude, what the heck? Yeah. Um, no, a April was frustrating. It. Uh, we didn't play our best baseball. We we weren't healthy. Um, but that's not even an excuse. I mean, we just I, – I really think it's a sense of urgency. You know, we need to go out every day and we need to prove that because I believe we're the most talented team, um, but we have to prove it. You know, it, you can say it, you can put it on paper, but that means nothing. And the only way we can catch these teams is by winning baseball games. And, um, you know, we, we've done a good job the last, you know, 10 games, week or so, and, um, but that's not enough. You know, we got to put together a really a good two-month stretch or month stretch and, um, you know, really kind of bear down on these guys and, and start to, to really narrow this, this deficit. All right. So I, we had Bregman on the other day and he was talking about how the new, the new bags and everything and the new disengagements, all that stuff. 
really is enhanced stolen bases. And I told him he had zero bags. You do realize that you're you're approaching a career of zero bags, and you're almost hitting my amount of at bats with zero bags in their career. So I need you to get one soon because. Yeah. And how is that going to happen when you do it? Oh man, I'm going to have to pick a guy that's got like a one eight leg lift. Uh, maybe hit him with the walking lead, start on the bag, and just walk right into it. I've been talking to Debo about that. Uh, I need to break that one out. I think that's I think that's the best way to get my first bag. No, no, here's what you got to do. You got to wake Debo up because Daryl Boston, the first base coach, is sleeping all the time. Every time I walk in the Chicago clubhouse, <laughs> Daryl Boston's in the recliner every single time. So you first you're going to have to wake him up, and then you're going to have to pick a pitcher. Yeah. You're going to say, okay, we're going. We're gonna, this is the guy we're getting. All right? Don't give away any secrets, but first wake Daryl Boston up. Yeah, did 100%. You, <laughs> did you 100%. wish – he, he finds a new room every place we go. That's where, that's where he finds his hideout, and then you got to go find him when you need extra work or something because he, he picks the room that no one knows about, and that's where he, that's where he camps out. That's right. That's, he's, he's famous for that. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you wish Lance Lynn a happy birthday not long ago? And did you get of him course. a present? Of course. So uh, I've gotten him a bunch of – I gave him a bunch of presents. Uh, I left a, a donut in his locker one day. Uh, I signed a baseball <laughs> card for him the next. Um I sent him a, a happy 50th gift in the morning to wake him up just to, to start his day on the right foot. Um, you know, I just trying to be nothing but respectful for him. That's perfect. That's perfect. Lance, as long as you send him like a case of beer, he'll be really happy. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the way to his heart. <laughs> and his stomach. <laughs> you I, I, you know that we have the ball. I have the ball, the, the first pitch ball that Lance, that Lance missed. So Lance wanted to know what was worse, him clanking the ball, or that triple you gave up in Minnesota? I'm going to go with the triple. Uh, you know, that's uh, – luckily he got the air on that one. I didn't get the air on it. Um, but easily the triple in Minnesota. <laughs> what? what? What happened? Because I, I, I watch every White Sox game. Like, you slipped? You were wearing plastics and you slipped? We'll go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Just uh, <laughs> lost the foot. Uh, lost, lost the footing on it. Um, luckily haven't done that since. That was a That was a tough – Tough day, um, but that's suck for Gio because he's throwing the ball so well. But yeah, those are the moments that that you hope that you're never a part of. Uh, and unfortunately, that day <laughs> that day I was out there in the outfield laying down. But how how have things been going for you overall on defense? I mean, many fans pointing out right now in in the chat here and making some great defensive plays. Have you felt better than ever this year out there? Yeah, I, I think the more the more I get comfortable, the more I play out there, the more reps I get, um, just more and more comfortable. And uh, starting to get better jumps in the ball, better reads. Um, but it's just it just comes from reps, you know, getting a lot of early work, BP reps. Um, but it's getting better. Yeah, it's it's definitely more comfortable. And then we do have a fan, uh, Jackson asked, hey, last week Sheets was ejected by Dan Isonia after two horrible strike calls. Your thoughts? Yeah, it was my first one. Uh, it felt, I'm not going to lie, it felt good. Congrats. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was a definite – it was a buildup. Um, there was a buildup of, of games in a row, and um, I knew I knew I was getting defensively replaced after that. It was the seventh inning, and, yeah, it was just uh, not the best call I've had on me, and it felt, it felt good to get out of the way. <laughs> AJ, how many AJ, times have you gotten tossed? AJ both have sons – I don't do too many. Ten, I think. 
10. How, how would you handle it the next day? Would you go up to the guy and? Yeah, it was over. You did? You would go up to the ump, I'd though? I'd see him in the tunnel after the game, and we'd have a laugh about it. <laughs> it was very rarely a day where I got ejected that I didn't see the umps the next day or so, talk to him. So what did, what did Gavin do? I don't know. Let's ask him. I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, I didn't play the next. I didn't. I didn't talk to him. Um, usually, it's not. I would say usually it's not the the one umpire that wears it. It's it's usually a buildup of things. So uh, usually it's just that's the guy that you take it all out on. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of what happened with me. I mean, he it was it was a couple games building up. So um, no 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 ill will towards him. I think that's a mature thing. I think you say that to him next time too. Yeah. How many times did you get thrown out, Kip? One time. <laughs> one, one special time. So you're already tied with me in that. You got one stolen base to get, and you're already tied with me in ejections. <laughs> I think it was like an 11 a.m. game in Detroit versus Verlander. I think I had bases loaded. I had a bad call on it. Yeah, and uh, I think it was Lance Barksdale or something. And the guy, the guy's got Cy Youngs. You don't need to be helping him. And then I also mixed in a couple choice words, and I think I was back in the kitchen by noon. Yeah, 11 a.m. That's that's a tough one, anyways. I was already grumpy, probably. I yeah, didn't. Yeah. Didn't know. <laughs> Gavin, what? Me and AJ, we have sons who are 16 years old. What's it like growing up with a big league dad? And how? What could we do to not screw up our our sons' lives <laughs> and careers if they want to if they want to play baseball? Like, did your dad do well? Did he, like, what are some things he did really well? And what are some things we should not do as dads? Yeah, he was, you know, I, I always thought that he handled it really well. Um, he coached, he coached me in high school. He coached me in travel ball. Um, you know, the best thing I thought from him compared to, you know, some of the guys I play with whose dads didn't play is he understood how hard the game was. And I think that's something that's very underrated because, you know, a lot of dads, who didn't play baseball or played and were good in high school, they don't understand how hard the game is. And so he always had, he always had my back in terms of that. He, he understood the struggles. Um, instead of beating me down, he was, he was trying to build me up, trying to tell me how hard the game was. And, um, you know, another thing he did was he, he told me to quit baseball and play golf in, in middle school. So, uh, you know, that was, that was something else that he said, you don't have to play baseball for me. He said, you know, I think that you're probably better at golf at this point in your career. And if you want to play golf and, and go ahead with that, then, then go for it. But, um, no, he was always very supportive though, other than, other than telling me to, uh, to maybe hang him up. Wait, so how good are you at golf? Like we, th this does come up, of course, like, are you Ian Happ, Jeff McNeil, Aaron Hicks status? Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm at that status. I play a lot in the off season. Um, you know, I can probably get down to a, to a one or scratch in the off season. Um, so I, I do, I do enjoy playing golf, but so he was, he was, he wasn't, Totally wrong. And I think when I was 12, I was probably a better golfer than baseball player. Um, before I hit puberty, I mean, I was I was brutally bad at baseball. And I think he saw it. So um, I had to appreciate the honesty from him. But uh, I'm glad I stuck with it. Yeah, now you're what, 6'6", 250? Yeah, so yeah. at that time, I was I was probably as round as I was tall. So uh, <laughs> things got better. It worked out. Awesome. Gavin, great to have you on, man. Appreciate it. And good luck the rest of the week, dude. We'd love good to have luck. you back. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it as always. Foul Territory fans, listen up. Our friends at BetMGM are running an MLB Bet $10, get $100 instantly promo with the bonus code SPICYMLB. Here's how it works. 
Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your newly created account. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android. Place a pregame money line wager of at least $10 on any MLB team to win at standard odds price, and you will receive $100 in bonus bets instantly. If you sign up in Massachusetts or Ohio, you receive $200 in bonus bets. Use the bonus code SPICYMLB. 